0: Hey everybody! We're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode, and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday
1: habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on
0: how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday.
1: So what are some practical ways to keep your team on the same page as it gets bigger?
2: The best thing that... We did. And this happened right around the 10 employee mark. Uh, and we were all virtual when COVID and the quarantine started was due. Implement a daily all team meeting and on this daily all team meeting every single morning our entire organization hopped on the call back Then it was ten employees now. We have I think we're at 98 employees. We're not quite at the hundred mark yet I need to celebrate when we hit a hundred I think it happened like next week, but uh, we had about ten team members and during that time every department would give an update of wins from yesterday Everybody said what they did yesterday, where they won. That is very culturally important, and I'll talk about that in a second. But then they were also talking about priorities for the day. As your team is smaller, you can be more granular with that. Uh, With 98 employees, we can't have everybody go through wins and priorities. And actually, at about the 50-employee mark, we had to lop off the priorities section for these departments. So now, every morning, it's just, where did we win yesterday? It is a game-changer for culture and for morale to set the expectation. Imagine being a new employee and coming into your organization and kicking off by saying, hey, we're going to share some wins from yesterday, and then you go through your marketing department, your sales department, your accounting department, your events department, your fulfillment department, your graphic design department, your click funnels department, and everybody's sharing wins. It sets the tone that, oh, this organization, they win, and they look for wins. So when somebody is about to leave here and they haven't won that day, something is heavy and things feel difficult, which all of us have those days. Most days are actually like that. I think if people are honest, they would admit to that. Uh, but instead it's like, okay, how do you figure out ways to win? How do you look for ways that clients are having success or ways that team members are having success in your environment that entirely changed the trajectory of our business when we started to do that. And it works in person, but it also works for virtual and remote team members.
1: That's awesome. About how long is that meeting, the all team meeting with 98 and they're only the team leaders are reporting? Is that how it works?
2: Yes. So our meeting is 15 minutes. As soon as mm-hmm. it starts creeping up to like 16 or 17 minutes, multiple days in a row, I like lop something out of it, or I tell one department, mm-hmm. Hey, you're talking too long. Like we need to shore this up, but it's turned into departmental key performance indicators from the day before we talk about mm. cash collected the day before we talk about how many new deals we had the day before. Like we are For me, that is the first call that I make after, um, at nine o'clock, our meetings from eight 45 to nine at nine o'clock. The first call I'm making is, Hey, events team, did you connect with sales? Because the sales numbers that they reported didn't, were not reflected in the events numbers. Mm -hmm. Like it allows me operationally to ensure that I actually know what's going on. And then Mm -hmm. more importantly, to go fix something where departments aren't aligned. So that cross-functional nature, uh, of this meeting is for me, one of the most beneficial things, but it also creates the culture and people seeing new employees and us celebrating team wins.
1: That's awesome. And you know, I feel like that's super useful. I feel like uh, I've seen that done poorly too, where it's like, uh, everybody's like, Oh, morning meeting. Like what a waste of time. It's going to take 15 minutes. Or we're just going to talk about nothing. I don't know why we have to do this. You know, I mean, I've, I've been part of like, um, development teams and sometimes people get off track. So I, I'm guessing it's really important to keep it on track and be like, guys, this has got to be focused. It's got to be positive, And uh-huh. we have no, no fluff. It's got to be very focused as my guess. Right.
2: I think most people think I'm really just like a very nice person and they think Brandon (laughs) is like the like hard ass in our business. Uh, Brandon is totally a hard ass. He's my husband and co-founder with Grant Cardone. Um, Mm -hmm. But like I am the person that is – If I see somebody, I shouldn't tell people this publicly, but, you know, here we are on a podcast and I don't think any of our employees will listen. I have 100 percent accuracy if I look through every single employee on that call. And if people are looking like this or aren't engaged and just have this total demeanor of being checked out. 100% 100% accuracy, if they do this three days in a row as I'm looking at this, they are quitting within the next two weeks. You can watch people. With, mm. If if your culture is one that creates energy yep. and, and it's it's exciting to be in, I will promise you that you'll be able to see what team members aren't a fit. And for us, mm-hmm. our core values resonate with one of them is inspirational. It, yeah. If somebody is showing up to a meeting looking disengaged and eating or doing something else, that's not inspirational. And I will follow yeah. up that person and say, like, hey, is everything going everything going okay? Is is there an issue that you're running into? So that I can keep a pulse on this team. I mean, you don't you don't grow a business as quickly as we've grown without being intentionally in tune and checking in with people and being hard on people when they're showing signs of disengagement.
1: Hmm, that makes sense. What would you say are some like practical tips for onboarding new hires? Like what's the right way to do it and what's the wrong way to do it when you're onboarding something? I know there's like onboarding and then there's kind of training. We can maybe talk about training separately, but mm-hmm. I mean, what would you say, like what's a successful way to do it? And what do you see people do wrong a lot?
2: I view onboarding like boot camp, and some of okay. our new employees might equate it to something like hazing. It should never be hazing, <laughs> but it, it should be intense. I think that mm-hmm. the average business owner assumes that onboarding should be this slow, steady introduction. For me, it's the opposite. I want to know within the first month if this person has what it takes in our environment. Our environment is very intense. We look at results every single day. You are held highly accountable environment. Our team loves working around each other, but there's a there's a lot going on around here constantly. And so for our onboarding, we require people to read four books in the course of a month. Uh, most organizations maybe don't have to do four books, at least one book as business owners if you've if you've read a book before and it changed the trajectory of how you look at leadership or how you've grown and develop yourself, why wouldn't you give somebody else that kind of tool for success so that they understand your philosophy without you having to, share it with them or teach it to them yourselves. So I'm a big proponent of using books in onboarding and just taking Mm -hmm. the overall philosophy that you want that first month to be the most intense month to know that they're gonna be a fit instead of coming Mm. at it with, oh, I'm just gonna see and let Nicole kind of go through the process and, and, and figure out if she's a good fit.
1: Mm, that's really good. Yeah, because you're like, hey, the more intense it is or the more focused it is, the sooner you know, the sooner they know. It's actually good for everyone because mm-hmm. they, they can move on if they need to. You can move on if you need to. It makes a lot of sense. What are those books that you have
0: everybody read?
2: One of them is called The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. The other <laughs> one is called Seller Be Sold by Grant Cardone. Uh, yeah. One is called uh, Beyond Positive Thinking. It's by an author named Dr. Robert Anthony. That has Mm -hmm. been uh, a really impactful book to my husband uh, and myself. But he used to tab and highlight every single one of these books. He he tabbed and highlighted, I think, 10,000 of them and would just give them away for free to people who would be interested enough in developing themselves because it made that much of an impact. Sorry, I'm just pulling up my book right now because in my book, Teamwork, I don't make this a required reading because it talks about firing people in it, and I think all of our employees (laughs) might be terrified of firing uh-huh. uh,
1: it's uh-huh. like
2: although this gives them the recipe for success in our environment in chapter eight yeah. i have a chapter called onboarding and it actually has a visual of our exact onboarding plan with the books that we have people read the tasks we have them do for that first four weeks that they're uh that they're coming on with us
1: hmm. that's really good um now you know on the flip side there's the onboarding well i guess maybe talk about training and then I want to talk about firing because i'm really curious about the right way um to fire someone in your opinion so what about yeah so what about training so i maybe i'm using hopefully i'm using the right terminology onboarding i think i was like getting you onto your organization training more like their job specific or role specific knowledge and stuff like that do you guys hire people that are like hey they're pretty much trained because you're hiring like experts already, and you're only training them on your internal systems, or are you training people how to do their job and on your systems, or like how much training is there? Is that done by the previous person that did the job, or is it by a, a training person of some kind? Like how does that work?
2: Such a great question. These are like the best. This is how you know when somebody's like in the throes of, of <laughs> exactly. I have really
1: specific questions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh,
2: so training. Uh, I am a freak. And I have this document that's called our process tracker. And in our organization, we have about 250 standard operating procedures that get updated almost on a daily basis because if you are growing, things should be breaking. If you grow, your processes are breaking constantly. And so when we started, we started with by department documenting all of these processes. So if you're a graphic designer, you're documenting where you save things and the file structure and the naming convention in a standard operating procedure. Uh, That way you don't always have the luxury of having the person before train the next person because the person before could quit unexpectedly. They could have a medical issue. And so all of this stuff for us is just constantly being looked at and documented. There isn't one specific person that is responsible for the training, but um, we do break down all of these processes in this really awesome format called tell me, show me, let me, coach me. And the idea is, from an adult learning theory standpoint, you tell somebody how to do something. Oh, I'm gonna tell you how we save designs in this folder. Then I'm gonna show you how to do it. I'm actually gonna open the screen up, show you where to do it the tell me is normally in a process format, right? Like I have written down steps. So tell me that I'm showing you that I'm letting you go do that thing. And then the coach me is, okay, now I let you do it and I watch you do it. And I say like, yes, you did it right or no, you didn't. Now saving a a design is something that is fairly straightforward, but as business processes become more complex, that methodology really helps you put safeguards in place so that the manager sees team members knowing that they have the competency to do do the thing that they're supposed to be doing. And oftentimes we just don't go to that level because we don't have the time or we don't really think about, oh, I've never watched this person actually hop on a client call before. And then you right. let them talk to your clients and they say stupid shit. And you're like, I can't believe they just said that, <laughs> but they've been saying yeah. it since day one. And they thought that was totally fine.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, that makes sense. When it comes to standard operating procedures, if you have whatever you said, 200, 300 of those and they're changing constantly, just curious what software you use to manage all that.
2: Google, Google
1: okay. docs. Okay, cool, cool. I use a sheet yeah, I was document. just wondering, yeah, we use, uh, our, we're just starting, we, yeah, we actually use like uh, Dropbox paper. So very similar. Okay. It's just like literally yeah. like a, you know, document. Um, okay. we're, um, Looking into changing. We interviewed um guy, Chris Ronzio. He founded a company called Trainual. Um, oh, so yeah, of course. so we interviewed him last week. And um, he has some. So I'm diving into some of that and like trying to decide. It, it, I, I love his software. So I'm probably going to use some of that. Uh-huh. Has some SOPs and stuff like that. So I was just kinda curious what works for you guys. I mean, if you're changing stuff constantly, Google Docs are super flexible because you can kind of do whatever you want in them, which is nice.
0: For sure. Um,
1: cool. So it's just all like a network of interconnected linked Google Docs where it's like, hey, do this. And then it links to the other one. It's kind of interconnected. Yeah. That's cool.
2: When we had sense. 25 employees, I hired a role called a business process specialist. And this woman is my angel. Uh, her name's Heather. Mm. And she is primarily responsible for ensuring that all of the processes for really all of the departments that I touch If there's something that's a a mess or a rye, she just like goes in there like this like scrubbing team and just like scrubs the whole thing down to ensure all of it is updated and talking Mm, appropriately with the other departments.
1: I feel like that's super important to have an owner that's like responsible, even though it's not your full-time job. Even on a small team, you probably need to have like one person. It's like, hey, it's your job to make sure this stays updated. Maybe everybody yep. needs to update their own pieces, but somebody needs to make sure it all works together. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so w- w- back to the training aspect, when you're training you know, someone, how do you... Um, I guess, how do you factor in the fact that if someone is helping train the new person, obviously that you have SOPs and stuff that helps do a lot of it, but do you factor in the the fact that they might be able to not do as much of their job in the meantime while they're training a new person? Is that true or is it more like they're just running and the other person's got to catch up with them or how does that work?
2: I'm sure there is a piece of that. Uh, I have mm-hmm. certainty that in any environment where you are growing, There is compression of people who are opting into being a leader, the ones who are doing the training, uh, of their time when they're bringing on these other team members. Um, how do I factor that?
1: Is it more just on that person to deal with it kind of, or is it like, Hey, there's like, Oh, cool. We'll we'll duck, you know, the responsibilities decrease for that time period. Or like, how do you handle that kind of stuff?
2: you know, we're just, we're 10 X around here. And (laughs) you're just like, we're just going to get it done. People in this environment are looking for ways to stand out and to show that they have what it takes and are willing. I mean, quite honestly, the team sees me work 12 to 14 hour days. They know that I'm training new team members and and Mm -hmm. they, they see the work ethic. And so if I'm sitting here saying that and Brandon is sitting here saying that and we demonstrate that they are very excited because they have goals that we ask them about in their interview process, and we ask them about yep. through this process we call personal, professional, and financial goal planning. If you're sitting here telling me I want to be the creative director in this department, but right now I'm a graphic designer, and maybe I'm making seventy thousand dollars right now, but I want to be making a hundred thousand dollars right in the future. Okay, great. Let's freaking go. Let's get you the skill set mm-hmm. that you need in order to add thirty thousand dollars of income to you, which means revenue to our organization. And how you can do that is by training other people and documenting your processes and helping us fix all of these things that will break around you and you be a leader in the role that you're in today. And so when people get that opportunity, I am sure that they have this compression thing. It's something that honestly doesn't come across my radar um, because they're so excited about being able to grow and demonstrate that they have grown in these
1: ways. That's awesome. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of like more like helping them see the value of what this is on them. And they know that they're like, okay, first of all, their mindset, they're definitely more of a growth mindset type person, but Mm -hmm. also they're like, Hey, I see immediately how this benefits me and the rest of the team if I do this. So they're very Mm -hmm. motivated to do it. So it's of like, Oh man, I got to do a new thing. It's like, cool. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to do this and we're going to kill it. It's like a different type of perspective, which is awesome. Totally. Um, how about letting people go? Like you said, like, how do you make firing less painful? What are, what's the wrong way to do it? What's the right way to do it?
2: Yeah. Uh, you have to correct people in the moment when something goes wrong. And the biggest mistake I see business owners make is it's, Oh, the person shows up 10 minutes late consistently, or they don't Put their report in on time and it's these little agitations that build and mm-hmm. by the time that they do the thing oh they showed up to this client call totally unprepared or they just messed up this whole presentation by the time that moment comes that's when they want to make the decision you're gone you can no longer work here anymore and it's so emotional Whereas yeah. the first time they were 10 minutes late and that's, if that's a big thing in your culture, the first time there's the issue that frustrates you, you have to, it is your responsibility to create confidence in the business that you are creating to address that and say, hey, did you know that you know our start time was 8.30 and you showed up at 8.45? Oh no, I didn't know, that's good to know. So that next time when they show up at 8.45 and you're like, wait, we, we did have the conversation, then you can move very swiftly into Fortunately, I have to give you a written warning on this. You knew we had this conversation last time. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay, great. So next time this happens, it's going to move into performance improvement plan because you're late to this client call. And and this performance improvement process just flows very easily. But it's always about servicing the client or creating a team environment. It's never about Natalie being an asshole or the business owner being a jerk or being too demanding uh, and and framing it in that way. I also use that vision commitment execution framework in our performance improvement process. So my book, I think it's actually the final chapter. I lay out what our performance improvement process is from that verbal warning all the way through termination. But I'm using like the vision for this. Why is it important that you show up on time? Is it actually because I need you to be there? at that time and the whole world's going to melt down if you're not? No, probably not. But if a client comes in and you are late to a client call or your team wasn't able to prep because you weren't there, it impacts our client's ability to grow. And if you remember from our interview and from this whole process that we've constructed here at Cardone Ventures, we're here to help business owners achieve their personal, professional, and financial goals through the growth of their businesses. They're not going to be able to grow their businesses if our team isn't on time, isn't prepped, and isn't ready to go when they call us and they need our help. And so it's it's painting this bigger picture instead of just arguing and being frustrated about the one thing where the business owner ends up looking like the ass and like so rigid when it's really not that right. at all. It's about building a sustainable business that you have confidence in and you're not worried about. I get so frustrated. I don't need to worry about somebody being late. Like, I need to worry about how I'm going to go acquire 500,000 more business owners into our ecosystem. And now I'm going to talk about Sally Joe who's showing up consistently late all the time. And I have to, and I have to have that be this confidence reducer. No. So it's my responsibility as the person that's a leader in the environment to ensure that there isn't a lack of confidence that I'm accidentally creating because I'm not willing to confront significant issues. Mm. I love that. You can tell I've probably had a lot of co- these conversations. We've we <laughs> yeah, have a hundred sure. of these employees that oh, are good wise, yeah. but we we've we've fired seventy of them in three mm-hmm. years. So like we are very confident in this process because we want to know quickly who's going to win. But the people who stick with us, they move from managers to senior managers to directors to senior directors to vice presidents, people making $60,000 in their first year with us who are now making a quarter of a million dollars because they go through this and they get it and Mm. there's this structure in place. And when you properly align people with what the role is, it really is amazing how something can grow with the right leadership and guidance and, and facilitation.
0: With compensation, do you find that are are a lot of people on your team, uh, like W2 employees or are they 1099? And then is it commission based or, or is there a mix of stuff? And do you find one motivates others? Like, Hey, there's a promise of this VP role down the road 10 years. Or is it like, Hey, you, you sell this much or part of this much, you make X, Y, and Z.
2: I'm a freak about this, too. Uh, there, So all of our team members are W-2, uh, and every single person in our environment has an incentive compensation plan. So we have base salary, we have incentive compensation, but then there's also commission. So anybody can sell anything in our environment or bring us a lead or bring us somebody who can do business with Cardone Ventures and make money off of that. Now in some, mm. you know... Um, medical services organizations or professional services organizations, you can't set up a commission structure like that. But in most businesses, you can figure out how to pay and incentivize your team members to, to solve the number one problem that every business owner has, which is not enough leads. So we always have that in place. But the incentive plan, it really does depend on what they negotiated in their base and what we were targeting for that role, but we're in general terms targeting between uh, 10 to 20 percent of their base salary as their incentive comp target so that we can use key performance indicators to drive the behavior that we're looking to drive in that role.
1: What Hmm. percent did you say of the base salary do you use for the incentive?
2: 10 to 20.
1: Okay, 10, 20%. That's cool.
2: So someone's making $50,000 a year. If I'm targeting 10%, that would be $5,000. I would obviously love to give that person a 20% target. But if I was originally targeting, let's just do this math real quick, if I was originally targeting that I could pay $60,000 for this role, I would want to give them the 20% target, right? So that that would total out 60. But they might negotiate saying, oh, my last place I was making 55. I'm not willing to take any less than 55. Well, okay, we'll give you 55, but then the incentive target has to go down.
1: Yeah, that's cool. That makes sense. Um, with With the commissions, I'm just curious how that would work. I'm thinking about my business, you know, and like someone that isn't strictly sales, do they get the same incentive as someone that is not in sales and they bring something? How do you guys handle that kind of thing, if you don't mind me asking?
2: Yeah, it's handled straight away, um, the exact same. So our okay. sales team... We have a one centralized products and services guide. In the products mm-hmm. and services guide, we have our prices and then what the sales commission is off of it. Uh, what I'm most proud about is our recruiter. She's a recruiter, okay? And she's like, she's not a normal recruiter. She's totally 10X and awesome. But she like came from like a traditional HR recruitment background. And she sold and made like 15 grand in commission just from asking people and learning sales skills if they want to move forward with, purchasing hmm. a, an event or going through a process or whatever she's been selling them on hmm. $15,000 to a recruiter. Like that's insane. No, hmm. nobody that's, does yeah. that. And it, she is so bought into us because she's making more money than she's ever made before. And she has confidence cause she's learned how to sell. And when people learn how to sell, they, they can do anything.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Have you found any downsides to doing sales incentives, like people coming on board that aren't a good fit for your team? Like, is does incentivizing sales have any downside that you've noticed, or not really?
2: You know, we just brought on a technology department, and we are having a little bit of difficulty in the recruitment side, knowing that we do have more of a sales-oriented culture, Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. specific to those types of uh, skill sets we'll overcome this, we'll figure that out, but it has not created an issue. I mean, we've, over the last three years, we've generated $70, $70 million in revenue. Right, and I'm, not, revenue.
1: I'm not worried about you guys, yeah, no. Yeah, we're,
2: we're doing <laughs> no, that, pretty well on yeah. Our, yeah. and it's, it's, it's created the right thing, it's created the lift that we need, and Brandon yeah. and I know, that is also the other thing as a business owner, you know who's actually committed and bought in to helping the business grow through their ability to be uncomfortable through helping you with sales. If they're not willing yeah. to promote your business, if they're not willing mm. to do the hard things and ask for the close, but yet they're willing mm-hmm. to come to you and say, "Oh, I want to make ten thousand dollars more this year." To me, yeah. honestly, I'm like, "Great." When was the last time you helped us solve our biggest problem, which is promoting this organization? Oh, I didn't yeah. think that was my job. Great, it's not my yeah. job. It's no one's technical job, but actually, it's all of our jobs to be able to get paid more.
1: Yeah, for sure. With uh, sorry, I think this is my last question. I know we were running, probably running over time, but last question. Uh, from the sales perspective, how do you logistically determine who gets the sale? Is it, you know, who closes it and what does that mean? Or is it, you know, how does that actually get counted? Or do you split that in different ways?
2: Sometimes it gets split if... Uh, Somebody has been working, let's say a salesperson has been working uh, a client and we have through our CRM like notes of all of the outbound calls and the follow up, but then they show up on site with us and one of our marketing team members closes them. Our, mm-hmm. We will have consideration and we'll just split it between the two if we can document mm-hmm. and prove that you know there was legitimate work that was done initially. Uh, and so we try not to have fights and disputes. And our director of sales is pretty good at at refereeing those.
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking like logistically for us, we have like kind of a sales administrator role where somebody's doing a lot of the setup of meetings and stuff, and then somebody else comes in and does like a discovery call or sales meeting. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. about okay, maybe that would be some type of split, or maybe it would be mostly the the person doing the call. I just was curious if you guys do something similar, if it's different than that.
2: I would play with it. I play with it constantly every single month on the 15th of the month. I look at who's making more money in our organization Mm -hmm. based off of their incentive plan. If the incentive plan is not creating growth in the organization and month over month, Cardo Ventures didn't grow, but Joe is making more money. I'm looking at, okay, why did he make more money if we didn't actually grow? And so then if Mm. if I recognize, oh, we incentivized the wrong thing, in every incentive plan, I have the ability to change it within a certain time frame. Uh, I try to give people at least, especially in sales, I'm giving them some sort of headway. And we try not to play Mm -hmm. with our sales team commission, but the incentive plans for our team members with key performance indicators will change month to month if it's not working. And I tell them, you know, honestly, it was like arbitrage. I, You thought you were adding value by doing this thing and you made money last month, which is great, but you didn't actually add value. And in the real world, nothing happened. Like there was no mm-hmm. monetary gain through you doing this. So you made this money then, but that doesn't mean you're entitled to it just because the first time you did it, it you it paid you.
1: Gotcha. So it's like the salary stays stable, but the incentive plan can be tweaked and adjusted constantly, which is, totally. okay, that's really interesting. That's cool. Okay. I get it, Mark. I've been asking a lot of questions. Do you have any questions?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I've just enjoyed hearing all these questions and answers, uh, and I'm I'm excited to hear your takeaways, Ben. You know, oh yeah, what, what are your?
1: I've been furiously taking notes over here, so I have my own notes, and then I also have a list of takeaways to share. So I'll, uh, yeah, I'll go over a few of these. Um, so few things that I, I, I'm taking away personally that I think will be really useful is like when you're pitching your team, first you say, imagine a world, imagine a world. And then you set the future vision and you say, hey, this is what it's going to look like. And then you start laying laying it down from there, which I think is a great tip, very practical. When your team grows, do a daily all-team meeting, um, sharing wins to keep you all on the same page. That's a great takeaway. Your approach to onboarding is like boot camp; Immerse them quickly and see if they have what it takes. When training, use the tell me, show me, let me, coach me method. I'm going to be using that. I think this is one of my favorites that I've experienced myself As you have to correct people in the moment when something goes wrong so it doesn't become too big or too emotional long term. That's it. That's what I got.
0: Mm, That's so good. So good, good Ben. (laughs) All right, Natalie, we like to leave our audience with a takeaway, like an action item to do, you know, after they listen to a podcast and they get all these great, um, you know, notes and and get inspired to grow their teams. And if you could leave somebody with uh, maybe one action item that would benefit them the most, what would that be?
2: Man, way to put me on the spot! You couldn't have like prepped me <laughs> for that one. One action item:
1: go by teamwork. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, well,
2: <laughs> that is that is a really good takeaway um, because everything, all of the questions that you ask, like this, is all written in the same kind of you know snarky but authoritative voice that I speak in. Um, my one action item would be, as a business owner, if you can clarify where your business is going, the rest of it becomes very easy. So if I was a business owner listening to this, think about where you want to be in 10 years from now. And if it's bigger and you imagine having this amazing team around you, then what are you not willing to accept in today's environment in order to get there? Um, If it's not bigger and if it's smaller or the same size, maybe you're more okay with poor and poor, poor improving or poor performing employees but if it is bigger and it's something greater and something that's more fulfilling and impactful then you should raise the bar as to what you're willing to accept every single day but it all starts with ultimately where the business wants to go
0: yeah that's really great hey where can people connect with you find more uh, out about your book and and just you know how to hear more about what you're up to
2: you know i am very active on instagram if you want to get the book you can go to CardinalVentures.com forward slash teamwork and just pay shipping and handling. The teamwork book is honestly like a business owner's guidebook for how to handle these situations. So I would definitely recommend that business owners do that if you're interested and connect with me via Instagram because I love doing all the things on stories and direct messages. I manage all of that myself. So I would love to get to know you guys and connect with you there.
0: Fantastic. Well, hey, thanks so much for being on the show. And thank you for listening to The Friday Habit. Uh, if you go to the Fridayhabit.com, uh, you can find show notes for this episode. There you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. And at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit system that will show you how to set aside one full day each week to dedicate working on your business instead of in your business.
1: And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover, don't forget to record us a quick voice memo and send it to hello at the
0: Friday That's right. And until next time, live every day like it's Friday.